You are listening to The Demand Generation Show, Episode 5. Today, we are talking to the queen of sales development, Trish Bertuzzi of The Bridge Group. She's going to share some amazing insights into what makes sales development work and how you can take advantage of it to drive greater growth in your company. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Demand Generation Show. I am actually recording this episode while we are getting crushed in the mid-Atlantic just outside of Annapolis with uh, Snowstorm Jonas is what I understand. So this is all taking place while we're at the beginning of what they're saying is going to be 24 to 30 inches of snow. So we'll see how that goes. In any case, if you couldn't tell from the opening of today's show, I'm really excited to be able to share the insights uh, from Trish Bertuzzi, who is just an absolute genius when it comes to sales development. I don't know if she knows how much she's impacted and influenced Imagine's sales development program between the presentations that she's made, the articles that she's written, and the research that she provides. Uh, she's just released her brand new book, The Sales Development Playbook. If you are a growth-oriented executive, I don't care if you're sales-related, marketing-related, or otherwise, it's a book that I recommend unequivocally. Just as a reminder, if you want to look at the show notes to review any of the highlights of what we're talking about, get information about Trisha's book, visit www.imaginellc.com slash podcast. Go to episode five, and we'll have highlights from the show as well as details to be able to follow up on anything that we're talking about today. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's interview. Everybody, here is Trish Bertuzzi. Trish, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Demand Generation Show. Can you start off, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to become the queen of sales development? Well, just to, just to be clear, being the queen is a self-proclaimed title, but I'm happy to wear the crown. Yeah. There you go. So, if you say it long enough, people believe it. So you that's got what it. I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. So um, sales development is something I've been passionate about my entire career. Back in the day, um, which was a long time ago, it was my first job in technology. And back then, they called it telemarketing. And I had a list a pen, a phone, and that was pretty much my CRM. It was a there piece of paper and a pen, right? But it was the same idea. We were calling people and making appointments for the field, and I loved it. And from there, I went on into inside sales where I carried quotas, managed teams, you know, the whole progression. And then in 1998, I founded the Bridge Group, this business. So I have cared about sales development for about 30 years now. So now that it's an overnight success, I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I, I refer to sales development's overnight success. It's like the ZZ top um, of, of the business world. When uh, Sharp Dressed Men came out and everyone said, oh, my God, did you hear this new band? They'd only been producing music for 30 years. So Exactly. Oh, I never thought of that. But I don't want to kind of put myself in the same category as ZZ top because they're kind of not very good looking. So. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. That's very valid. I did meant did not mean anything else by that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. 
So I, I'm I'm curious because I know that you've spent so much time, and I know what the Bridge Group does. You know, a very heavy emphasis in technology. Yep. Why is it that sales development has become almost table stakes in technology, but it's still not normal, for lack of a better word, outside technology? What What's your take on that? Well, I don't think it's just sales development. I think it's inside sales as an overall strategy. You know, in the technology space, we're always innovators and early adopters. And I think that comes right through to our sales and marketing strategies as well. So I think we were a little bit ahead of the curve with the adoption of inside sales and uh, sales development. I do think, though, that the the rest of the industry is catching on. I mean, I have some great clients that are outside of the technology space. You know, Georgia Pacific um, is one. I have a client, ZipWall. They build dust containment walls that you actually zip up, really cool stuff. So I think there are people outside of technology that are catching on. Catching on. They're just a little bit slower to adapt to inside sales. How to use the phone, web, and social media to either build pipeline or do that and generate revenue. But they're right behind us, and they're coming along strong. As you look at how the process is implemented on the technology side versus, just as an example, those two companies, is it the same model, or do you find that there need to be some other adjustments because maybe it's, a more, it's more service-oriented as opposed to product-oriented? So in both those instances, those are both product companies. Okay. Um, so I think there has to be some tweaks to the model. You know, variables matter. Like I actually use a hashtag a lot called hashtag variables matter because they do. There's not a one-size-fits-all strategy for anyone. If there was, we'd all be wildly successful. So I think what those other companies that are starting to move into this space need to think about is how do their buyers want to buy? You know, there's a younger generation of buyers out there. That younger generation of buyers doesn't feel the need to have someone sitting across from them to be able to communicate effectively. And so these companies need to really start to look at their buyers and have conversations with them and say, how do you want to buy from us? And if they want brevity and speed and they want to incorporate technology into how they communicate, those are the changes those outliers need to make. You know, I, I heard when when you spoke at HubSpot's inbound conference last year, you, you brought something up that I thought was uh, right on point, really interesting. And actually, if I had had more time, I would have talked to you about it while, while I was there. So why not have this conversation and this question on the podcast? As sales development has picked up, I know, you know, from my end, I get the standard sales development emails and, you know, you can almost tell sometimes which school of, of outbound or which school of sales development <laughs> someone came from. What, what is the challenge and, and more importantly, what's the solution so that, you know, the sales, de- as, as people begin to adopt that sales development process, uh, it doesn't become commoditized in spam. Well, I mean, I go into great detail on how not to do that in my book. Right. But I think it all comes from, You know, there are school of thoughts about sales development, and some of them are about speed, and some of them are about um, 
number of activities, and some of them are about, it's all about me, me, me. It's, it's the university of me. I want to talk to you about me. I want to get on your calendar to talk about me. You know, that just doesn't work anymore. And it never really did. Maybe back in the day when email was something that people actually paid attention to, it was different. But now it's not. You know, buyers want something different from us. They want us to add value. So I think the, the new schools of thought are about being relevant, being human, and being interesting. Um, I spoke at a sales kickoff this week, and um, one of the points I tried to make with the team was, at the end of the day, everybody's product is just like everybody else's. Yeah, you might have a leg up on your competitor for, what, five minutes, and then they catch up with you. The differentiator in the sales process is you. You as a human being, you as a salesperson, and you as someone that needs to provide value to your buyer's journey. That's your competitive advantage. The sooner you figure it out, the better. I know you go into this in great depth in the book, and I, and I certainly don't want to give it away, everything in the book, because I've already started reading it, and it's awesome. And I'm not yeah. just saying that because you're, you're, we're talking. <laughs> what, what are some of the first key things that a, a sales leader should do to be able to do that effectively? I think you need to be able you, – you need to know your buyer. Like, and I, I hate to keep beating this sort of point, but – as a sales leader, you need to be able to articulate, here are our three primary buyer personas. Here's what a day in their life looks like. Here are the challenges they face. Here's how they're currently addressing those challenges. Here's how they're measured. Here's how they're compensated. Here's what they care about. Here's the language they use. If you don't give your sales teams that to start with, no wonder they go off with these generic messages. Because you have to take everything that I just talked about and then figure out how to weave that into a conversation so at the end of the conversation, the person you're speaking to says, oh my goodness, I, I understand now how you can help me be more successful and build a better business. That's where we're going. That's where smart companies are going. And um, I think it's gonna, we're going to be all the better for it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great point and, and one of the things i've always loved about hearing you talk is you you really do span both the the marketing and sales world even though you're obviously focused on sales development because you know you meet those people who say oh buyer personas oh that's a marketing thing and you know i'm shocked how often i talk to a company that's telling me that they're struggling to grow um and i you know i said let me see your buyer personas and they go oh we don't need to do that i, I i've got a good picture of, of who my customers should be <laughs> And I say, yeah, you might, but your people don't. <laughs> and Right. Or worse yet, they'll say, oh, we're a horizontal play. And I'm like, oh, God, that's the worst thing you can be. That means you're vanilla to everybody. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So as, as you go around and, and obviously you speak at a lot of conferences, you talk to a lot of people. Uh, if, if anyone's not following your Twitter stream, uh, Trish is a must follow. Uh, she's, she's funny and insightful. Um, what are the challenges? It's at Bridge Group Inc. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have I should have paused for that. Uh, it's an early <laughs> no podcast. Yes. I'm still learning how to do this. <laughs> I know. We'll say it one more time. At Bridge Group Inc. There. What do you see as the biggest challenges facing the sales world and sales efforts today? And, and the more you can gear it to the small mid-market company, the better, because that's that's what this show is really yeah. geared to. So I think it's rising above the noise. 
Because if you're a small company that doesn't have this massive marketing machine behind you, you need to be smarter than your competitors. You need to be smarter than the average bear. And what that means is you better help your salespeople figure out how to bring that you factor, like you as the differentiator, to the forefront in every interaction they have with your potential marketplace. Because it's a level playing field once you get to the conversation. Um, you know, people want to buy from people they like, people that add value, and people that get them. So if you can get your team to that conversation and they can meet those three criteria, I think that's the most important thing you can focus on. So you mentioned one Twitter theme that you have, variables matter. You have another one that I'd like you to expand on, and that is content is the new spam. And you talk about a little bit in the book as well. What do you mean by that? Well, I take a lot of crap for that one <laughs> from all the content providers. Okay, here's what I mean by content is the new spam. So I used to go to Twitter, and it wasn't even that long ago, say 18 months ago, and I'd be like, oh, my God, this is awesome because here's where I can go to, to learn because people are talking about research and they're talking about blog posts and they're talking about this is where I go to find all the cool stuff that's part of my learning experience. Now all I see is ten ways to blotter, 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 and seven ways your team must this, and account-based marketing is replacing inbound, and the cold call, I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, what happened to the value here? Because what we all did is jump on the inbound marketing bandwagon, and what's the fuel you put in that inbound marketing engine? It's content. But it's not necessarily good content. You know, marketing automation, if you look at the technology adoption lifecycle, marketing automation is now in the majority or laggard space. Everybody's got it. And what are they using it for? A Gatling gun for spam. Like, <laughs> boom. We're killing, we're killing ourselves here. And that gets back to what you were talking about earlier with buyer personas, right? If you don't know who you're trying to connect with, you can't really do anything in content to create value. Right. Right. How can sales development reps, if for, for those companies that are creating good content, how can sales development reps effectively utilize content in what they're doing? So there's a couple ways, and I don't, you know, Sales development reps, if they're savvy, and there are a ton of savvy reps out there, they know that they don't just have to use the content that their marketing team developed, right? They should be for their, the people they're engaged with or the people they're looking to be engaged with, they should be content curators. Like Jill Riley talks about this all the time, and she really articulates it well. They need to be content curators, meaning if you're focused on a specific buyer type, like CFOs, or you're focused on a specific industry, like manufacturing, you should be reading things that are related to that buyer type or to that industry and sharing them with your audience. I think where people go awry is they become monosyllabic, for, you know, for lack of a better word, and they only share their stuff when you really should be sharing knowledge that's of value to the audience, not just your stuff who's, you know, you, you get where I'm going. Yeah, it, it's almost, I always say one of the fun things about 
this whole inbound content world that you know I'm I'm deeply involved in as well is you know what's old is new again. When I was in sales, oh. half my job was when I'm reading something. Uh, you know, I remember the the days of of cutting out an article from a magazine and and sending it on to a client because we had just talked about that and and even maybe going to a store to buy 12 magazines because I wanted to send it to 12 people. I know, um, isn't that funny? And, and, and it really is kind of that game again, just at a much larger scale. So a, right. a, excellent point. I, I want to get into your book a little bit. Um, yeah. Because like I said, I started reading it and uh, I'm already, I'm already, like I told you before we started, I'm already applying some of the things. Uh, and you don't waste any time to kind of give people some I, I think fabulous insight. You talk well, about. Have you ever the met me? <laughs> I'm kind of direct. That's beauty of Northeast. There you uh, go. You talk about the five whys model. Um, yeah. I, I love it. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about it and and how it pertains to to creating that alignment between the sales development team and the account executive team? Well, I mean, I think the five whys model is about understanding where you fit in in the conversation. So we all try to get to the end game really quickly in our sales process, right? But I but I think that one of the things we lay out in the book is the five whys and their why listen, why care, why change, why you, why now. Well, when you think about that, that's what the sales process is, right? Why listen, why care, why change, why you, why now? And who handles the various aspects of each of those five whys has to be figured out by the company. How, how far does sales development take it? Then, you know, what does sales own? What does customer success own? Does the SE own anything? I mean, it's all about taking the why of what you deliver and then bringing your sales process in alignment with it. I, I got to tell you, I was angry when I saw it because I spent so much time and, and, and we've got a model that's really similar to, to what you shared there. And, and I looked at it and I said, damn, that is so amazingly simple and so clear. Um, and, I, and I was angry and jealous that you, that you came up with it. Which, which <laughs> wise is sales development for? Which wise is, is new sales for? Yeah. So, I, well, once again, nothing is a one-size-fits-all model. So one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I'm anti-one-size-fits-all strategies, right? So I think it depends on a couple things. Hashtag variables matter. Do you have brand and name recognition? What level of the organization are you calling into? Where is your technology in the adoption lifecycle? Or if, even if you're not a technology, where does your product fall in the technology adoption lifecycle? Like the strategy for someone with no brand selling to innovators and early adopters is 100% different than the strategy who's a big brand selling into the majority space. So that's another thing we talk about in the book is you need to figure out your, your variables, embrace them, and then build your model accordingly. Good stuff. I, I want to pretend for a moment that you're sitting in a room with a CEO. She's run a 15-year, her company's 15 years old, good, solid, mid-sized business. She's got seven salespeople. Growth isn't at the rate that it used to be. She's trying to figure out how to accelerate it. She's heard about sales development. She listened to this podcast, and she said, you know what? That's what we need to start doing. Um and while I know you covered in depth in the book, what what would you tell her are the key things to get started 
to, to get that business back on a higher growth trajectory, taking advantage of sales development? Well, I mean, I think we kind of talked about it briefly before. You've got to have a really good understanding of who you're targeting. Um, so you need your ideal customer profile really well defined. You need all the information we talked about about buyer personas. You need that articulated. You need to be willing to invest. Let me repeat that word, people. Invest in a sales development effort because it's not instant on, instant ROI. And you need to hire great people, which is the toughest thing to do right now because demands, you know, far outstrip supply. And you need to pay attention to this thing and be as passionate about it as you can possibly be because it's not easy to get it right. But if you do get it right, it's going to pay off in spades. So I'm, I'm going to circle back to, to the hire um, in just a second, hire the right people. You, when we started off the podcast, you, you talked about your training program, which was here's the phone book, here's the phone. I got a little bit more advanced training when I started because they told me that I had to press nine, so I wouldn't be confused to to get that outside <laughs> line. So other than that, we had similar onboarding programs. I, I've seen some people attempt this, and, and the mistake they make is they hire people, they tell them get on the phone, start calling people who, who's what we want. When when you think about the playbook, how much structure, um, how much work needs to be done up front to put sales development reps in a position to be successful? Well, I mean, how successful do you want them to be? Let me answer the question with a question. Like, you don't whip out your salespeople and just say, hey, go talk to these people. You know, you only have one chance to make a first impression, and that's exactly what your sales development team does all day is make a first impression. So you need to prepare them Take the playing field. You have to, you know, make the investment on, once again, they need to know all about your buyers before they even hear about your solution. I actually was talking to a company today, um, and the CRO said to me, we spend two weeks onboarding SDRs and never mention our product. And at the end of the two weeks, they actually use the product so that they get to see what the buyer experience is like and then we start teaching them about how to sell it. I thought that was awesome. Very cool. Yeah. What, what would you say to people? I know I, I get this when I talk to companies about sales development, this idea that um, someone new, someone young, someone who hasn't been selling this for however number of years, they, they can't get the conversation started with, with my prospects. You know, the whole my business is different thing. What? what how do you get somebody that doesn't have that long experience to be able to, to make such good first impressions? Well, once again, you teach them to use the right language. So if my buyers are Italian and I hire someone who only speaks French, I'm not going to be very successful. So if my buyers are Italian, i got to teach my French-speaking person to speak Italian, to talk to those buyers. And even if they're making an effort, you know, did you ever go to Italy and try to speak Italian? You're not really good at it, but people are so impressed that you're trying and they're paying attention and they're engaging with you. That's the best analogy I can think of, is they'll eventually get it, but you've got to give them the tools. You've got to give them the process, you've got to give them the message, you've got to give them the language, and you've got to give them the tools. And then coach them. 
say a little bit more about that because that everyone misses that. Talk about coaching. Uh, one thing nobody does that everybody knows they should do. It's like flossing. I swear to God. <laughs> so coaching, I, I love coaching, right? We we have whole services wrapped around coaching. And it's when you actually listen to the conversations that your reps are having. And I'm a big fan of call recording, and there are some amazing technologies out there that enable that. But if you're running an SDR team and you're not listening to the conversations, I don't know what you're doing all day other than moving paper around your desk. Because listening to the conversation helps you hone the skill of your reps. Equally importantly, it lets you hear how the buyers are reacting to your message. Like if you came out with what you thought was fabulous message and the buyers are sitting there going, yeah, not so much. Well, your message is wrong. But how are you ever going to know that if all you're looking at is the silly metrics that are coming out of your CRM? So marketing, and listen to me, marketing people, you need to listen to recorded calls from your sales development team. You will learn more about how to develop your next campaign by doing that than you ever will by just analyzing click-throughs. It's funny. We just had Mike Weinberg on the last oh, episode. I love him. And he said the exact – we had a conversation about the exact same thing. That he, he even made the offer. If any marketer is lacking for the opportunity to go out and see what happens on an actual sales call, that uh, to, to reach out to him. So uh, I just want to point that out to all the marketers listening. You, you, you got to see firsthand and hear firsthand what's happening in that conversation. Go out on a sales call. How old-fashioned. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, we, you, you talked about the importance of hiring the right people, and, and obviously yeah. that that's the magic formula in, in probably just about everything these days. What should someone be looking for in hiring a sales development rep? Okay. Once again, buy the book. The Sales Development Playbook, available on Amazon. I mean, there's a massive section about that. But really what you're looking for is someone who's articulate, someone who's a good learner, someone who's curious, someone who has personality, um, someone who's organized, not afraid of technology, not intimidated by um, having conversations with people that they might not consider themselves to be a peer of. I mean, it's you're looking for a sales rep. That's what you're looking for. It's just this particular sales rep handles the front end of the sales process. Great point. Sales is sales. Sales is sales. Two more questions for you. Okay. Where do you see the world of sales development going? How is it going to be different two years from now? Will it be different two years from now? I don't know. I don't know. It's change, it's 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 moving so fast. I mean, is it different? We we just talked about this earlier. I had my pen, a list, a piece of paper, a phone. I didn't even have a CRM, and I was pretty good at sales development. And that was many years more than I want to admit to ago, <laughs> right? That's 5 years ago, right? Yeah, really. So in two years, is it going to be different? I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that's changed is that we're more effective through technologies, right? At the end of the day, it's still people having conversations with people and trying to develop relationships that move the ball forward in the sales process. So do I think it'll be different? Yep. Can I say why? Nope. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Hopefully it'll be different because it'll be better. 
because people will have, guess what? You know where I'm going with this. Spread the book. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I hope it'll be different on a point that, that you just made that I want to echo. I hope it'll be different because two years from now, the focus will be more on the message and the messenger and yeah. less on the idea of the technology. We, we need to look to technology as being the enabler of the message and yeah. the messenger. And too many people look at it as the solution. I'm on your bus. Last question. I think you're going to love this question. What have I failed to ask you about the book? Because it's great. Tell people, what are they going to get when they read it? They're going to get straight talk, like you said, from the get-go. Everything, you know, I've had the Bridge Group since 1998. We've worked with over 240 different companies. I have 12 consultants, all of who of which have been directors or VPs in technology companies of inside sales teams. I mean, we have, there's nobody else with the domain expertise that we have, and we put it in the book. And we did that because we want to share with the community. That's why we do all the research reports we do and don't charge for them. I mean, I personally, and I think my, I can speak for my entire team, we are so passionate about inside sales as a profession and a revenue engine for growth that we just wanted to help people be more successful. So we didn't hide our information. We straight up, if we know it, it's in this book. You can implement it. If you have any questions, you can call us. But there it is. I will echo it. I'm about a third of the way in. There is absolutely no theory in this book. This is all actionable. What really happens? No BS. Um, I, you can't make a mistake picking it up. Trish, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank you so much for being a early guest on the Demand Generation Show. One more time, if you could just let everyone know if they want to send you a note, if they want to follow you, what are the best means to to reach out and where can they follow you? Yep. So Twitter is at Bridge Group Inc. Um, and that's really a great way to find me. Or I'm I am very easy to find. Believe me, I have this like little mafia princess name. Just Google Trish Bertuzzi, and you will find me. Excellent. Thank you so much, Trish. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you were taking notes. Here are some of the key takeaways that I got from talking to Trish. And I'll tell you the great thing about her is doesn't matter how many times you talk to her or how many times you've read her stuff, you're, you're always going to learn something new. I think first and foremost, what she really brought to the forefront is there is no such thing as one size fits all. Stop looking to what someone else is doing and deciding, okay, I'm going to copy that. Uh, you can't read a book, no matter how good the book is. I think Trish would agree with this. You can't read a book and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Get your strategy clear. Hashtag variables matter. Big thing right there. It's always surprising to me when I'm working with a client to help them build out a system that they tell me they want to do what someone else does. And then when we look at what that someone else is doing and, and what business they're involved in or how they do what they do, there's little to no similarities. Get clear on what your strategy is. Get clear on what you're trying to accomplish. Then build your system out. Second thing, you have to have buyer personas. It's not a choice. It's not a marketing task. Your salespeople need to know who are your customers, what language do they speak, what issues do they have. And I can tell you from my end, buyer personas are not as infrequent as they used to be. 
So if you don't put together your buyer personas, it's a pretty good bet your competition will and you're going to be in trouble. The five whys. What a powerful way to break down an extraordinarily complex process into really simple steps. Make sure that your sales process is aligned to the five whys that Trish talked about. And last but not least, be sure that you're hiring the right people and make sure that the right people have access to what they need. I'll echo what we said in our last podcast with Mike Weinberg. Your marketing people, your executives, spend time, listen to calls, go out, hear what's actually happening and how people are responding to messaging. I know I said last thing, one more thing comes to mind. Don't forget, invest in coaching. Make sure that you're developing your people every bit as much as you are holding them accountable. So once again, I just want to thank Trish for joining us on such an early episode. Make sure you get out, buy your book, go to Amazon.com, The Sales Development Playbook. Stay tuned. In just a couple of seconds, I'm going to talk about a tool that we use. And while we're talking about building out your sales process, this could be a great tool to help you make sure that you're mapping your processes effectively and communicating them throughout the entire organization. Stay tuned for our tech tip. All right, are there any users of Visio out there? Uh, I used Visio many, many, many years ago when I was uh, forced to work with a PC. Uh, it was probably the only PC program that I liked. When I went to a Mac, they didn't have it, so I've been in search for years of an easy-to-use diagram, flowchart maker, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we began using Lucidchart about two months ago. Uh, we do a lot of work in terms of workflow process, uh, sales process, lead nurturing programs, etc., cetera, uh, site maps, any number of things that require a process orientation or a very clear layout of what we're trying to do. We use these in, uh, we have to do this internally uh, as well as we provide a number of deliverables to our client. Lucidchart is it's a simple, I think you'll notice one of the themes from our tech tips is we really, really like simple. Uh, it's a simple tool. Uh, putting a chart together uh, is almost instantaneous. It gives you a lot of control. You can work in a team. It integrates with uh, your Google apps. Uh, it aligns and syncs and uh, supports Visio, etc. cetera. Uh, if you're looking for a tool to be able to map out processes, map out workflows, lay things out more clearly, take a look at Lucidchart. Let me know what you think about it. I know they offer a free trial. Uh, I was able to put together some client deliverables during that that free trial. I fell in love with it. Uh, I use it at least a couple times a week, uh, and increasingly our team uses it. So uh, check it out, lucidchart.com. If you're putting together workflows and flowcharts, I think you'll like it. Details about Lucidchart in the show notes at www.imaginellc.com slash podcast. That's it. It's the end of episode five. Uh, a little excited right now as I'm finishing up episode five because this means that we're putting the first five episodes online and we're going to be getting them loaded up into iTunes so that people can subscribe to it. So check out on iTunes and subscribe to the Demand Generation Show. Uh, share it on Twitter, hashtag Demand Gen Show. 
if you've got any feedback for me, if you have any questions, if you'd like us to interview any guests, if you want to tell me that uh, I was wrong about something, or better yet, I was right, uh, feel free to reach out to me, Doug at ImagineLLC.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Davidoff. Would love to get any feedback that you have. I'm really hoping this becomes a two-way show. Uh, we're going to begin working on episode six, uh, which again is exciting because that means that will be the first episode that we put up after we've launched these first five episodes. So thank you so much for joining us on episode five. If you haven't listened to the first four episodes, check them out. I think you'll like them a whole lot. Uh, I look forward to your feedback, and that is it for today. We will talk to you next time.